This is the 966, the podcast that focuses on all things Saudi Arabia from the two guys who produce the most widely read daily newsletter on the kingdom. This week, we'll be talking about another big week for oil, Saudi-Iranian diplomacy gathers steam, and Newcastle United. But first, Richard, what's your one interesting thing this week? Um, uh, Minister of Commerce and acting uh, Minister of Media, Dr. Majid Al-Kasabi, who's um, <clears throat> been a stalwart in the government for a long time and well, highly respected, announced that uh, Saudi ranks second uh, out of 121 co- countries in the Nikkei uh, COVID-19 recovery index and 10th out of 184 countries in the global COVID-19 index. Um which is uh, well-deserved. I mean, Saudi Arabia is sort of taking a victory lap right now in terms of, of how it's handled COVID. And, uh, and they also like these uh, metrics, these global metrics. Part of the, one of the big things in, in Vision 2030 is uh, there's a lot of KPIs, key performance indicators, and, and they like to benchmark against these things. So this, for them, is validation of what were pretty draconian steps, uh, I mean, right out of the gate, they were on top of it. You know, they, they essentially suspended two hajjahs, which are not only uh, economically uh, detrimental for them, it's a, a tremendous source of income, but also politically and globally, it, you know, a lot of people were upset about this. But they, they did what they thought was responsible and throughout in terms of uh, closing schools and, and monitoring uh, uh, public uh, behavior and 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 pushing the vaccine, they've been very aggressive and very consistent. So it's nice to see it recognized. This is pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, and, I'm, and I'm, I for one am jealous of them because they are now opening up and everybody's going back in public because vaccines have all but been mandated pretty much. I mean, to to return to work, to go to the mall, to do right. anything, you need go a to vaccine, school to go to school. And so they're, it's sort of like looking into the future or into an alternate reality as Americans, seeing how, what it would be like if you really took it seriously and everybody was acting, you know, with one idea and with one policy behind it. Um, it's, it's impressive. And like you said, they, they put up a lot of cost up front just to make this happen by canceling the Hajj, shutting the economy down. So it, it really is impressive. I think it, like you said, it's well-deserved. Yeah, Absolutely. My What's one your- big thing, uh, sorry, my one big thing, I jumped right in front of you. Uh, this, my one big interesting thing this week is palm trees. Um, the Saudi Arabian authorities have imposed a permanent ban on planting palm trees along roads as well as in parks and gardens across the kingdom. Um, I think this is super interesting because um, the, palm tree, the palm tree is on the Saudi flag. I mean, um, it's a symbol of Saudi Arabia, but it's evidence that Saudi Arabia is taking climate change and the environment a lot more seriously recently. Um, I, I saw a really interesting stat when, when reading about this, the proportion of Saudi Arabia's land area covered by forest has actually remained unchanged since 1990 at 0.5%. So there isn't a lot of tree cover, but no. um, the kingdom is emphasizing sort of these green initiatives. I mean, in tourism in everything, it's almost all driven by sustainability. Uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has a tree planting program in place now. Uh, he is hoping to plant a billion trees across the desert. So just not something that would make the headlines in uh, Western newspapers necessarily, but I do think that's really interesting. Um, let's move on to the first topic. Uh, it's been another big week for oil. Um, Saudi Arabia is making a lot more money on oil, and that's good news for Vision 2030. 
Uh, now with oil prices rising, Aramco's value is approaching the $2 trillion mark. Um, oil had closed at the highest price since 2014 on Tuesday, and the steady rise in prices has prompted Judwa Investment, a leading investment bank in Saudi Arabia, to forecast that the kingdom's deficit, budget deficit will narrow more quickly than previously thought. Richard, just how good of news is this for Saudi Arabia? Well, it's outstanding news. I mean, I think any any economic planner, any head of state uh, looks at these things over the long term and knows there's ups and downs. Um, to get to this point for Saudi Arabia is, is a really nice uh, situation. They've been going into headwinds, we all know. I mean, uh, 2020 and the, and the COVID uh, year uh, resulted in what, 5.2% decrease in global GDP, the biggest since World War II, uh, reduction in 8% in terms of global oil consumption, unprecedented. Um, so, as I said, these are tremendous headwinds that uh, every economy is flying into. Saudi Arabia being an oil-based economy, which is especially sensitive, to, obviously, to the economic performance globally. Um, to be coming out of this speaks to uh, policies across the board. Now, one of the interesting things here is that um, they're... So they're going to get back into surplus a year earlier, expected 2023. And as you mentioned, their deficits have, are being uh, reduced, their anticipated deficits are being reduced. Um, not only is that as increased oil income, which is picking up this year, uh, but uh, it's non-oil income too. And I, I did a little back of the envelope here and they're non-oil income. So um, Terms of fiscal responsibility and 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 Vision 2030 and this focus on on you know budget management and how what sources of revenue. So in non-oil income, you had 50 billion in in 2016, 68 billion in 2017, 78 billion in 2018, 84 in 2019, 85 in 2020, a down year. Um, wow, it'll be significantly larger in in 2021. So. So we're talking, so last year, nine oil income was, um, so 85 billion. But here's the thing, and this is why Saudi Arabia's got to be pretty, pretty pleased with how it's turning out at the moment, these things turn. Um, in 2019, 14% of that non-oil inc income was from the VAT, from VAT, value-added tax, which, uh, and then to finish the thought, in 2020, last year, a quarter of it. So that $21 billion of their non-oil income was from the VAT. Now, the VAT was introduced in January 2018, 5% VAT. A part, part of an a, a, a introduction of taxation, which is not the habit in Saudi Arabia historically. You know, these were, you know, there were no taxes. You, uh, everything was subsidized. So... So you had, you know, electricity subsidies and electricity were being reduced, gas were being reduced, um, uh, telephone, everything uh, for the Saudi, the typical Saudi, the cost of living was going up. And then you had VAT. And then right in the middle of the pandemic, July 2020, they bumped it from 5% to 15%, which even the IMF said, this is aggressive. Um, and you saw, uh, you know, there was griping, uh, you know, not only is there regulatory issues, there's reporting issues, it's a cost. Uh, uh, you saw inflation go up and inflation will be a little, will be higher. It's like, I think uh, inflation in 
2019 was negative 2% in 2020, it'll be 3.45%, was 3.545%. This year, it'll probably, I'm not sure, but it'll probably be moderated. But the point being is that <clears throat> Saudi Arabia, in the midst of a very difficult situation, uh, put in some, 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 made some difficult choices, you know, essentially taxing their populace, which was new to them. And, and, and it diversified their sources of income uh, at the same time they were borrowing at a greater rate and that sort of thing. But you come to this point where all right, our oil revenues are recovering. Um, our non-oil revenues have really bounced. And we just got a purchasing managers index report that showed that uh, the PMI for Saudi Arabia went to 50, 58 plus, the biggest jump, 4.5%, biggest jump since 2008, I assume in recovery from the, that financial crisis. Um, so the, the non-oil economy, the private sector, is beginning to thrive again. So uh, they have to feel really good about their, where they stand budget-wise and where they stand in terms of just uh, you know, dealing with the economy and trying to trying to stay on top of it and and to have you know it's it's interesting to you know to couple it with what the first thing was you know they they've done really well on these covid uh, recovery indexes now a lot of their economic indicators are looking very positive uh have to be very pleased because this has been a hell of a period yeah that's that's fascinating because Oil also hit a you know a decade low during the pandemic. Right at the beginning of the pandemic, oil just tanked, and I remember the D w WTI was actually like negative thirty nine dollars. I may be off on that figure, but uh, not so. Not only is oil back into the eighty dollar range, but like you noted, like you said, the, the VAT income and non oil income is up. They've got to be feeling really good. I love getting you talking about the Saudi economy, by the way. That was, that was very insightful. Well, I have a theory, all those things all together. I have a theory on the oil, too, because one of the interesting things about the oil, you want to hear my theory? I do. Yeah. Everyone does. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, you know, I'm not an energy economist, but I, I did sleep in a Motel 6 last night. Um, <laughs> this segment is brought to you by Motel 6. Yeah, Motel 6, yeah. God, wouldn't that be nice to get some, you know. Yeah, some, to, get a, to get a nice Motel sponsor. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I work backwards here. So one, uh, you know, Bloomberg just reported that, uh, as these oil prices are going up with just, just sort of topped 80, um, shale production is, is not, uh, spiking. It's moderate. As we know, the shale producers have moved into a, we've got to, we've got to, uh, turn out some revenues and some dividends to our investors. Um, but it's you know expected to be next year around uh, up over twelve. But it, it, previously it was up over thirteen million barrels a, uh, a day. Um, so, so it's interesting that that shale pressure uh, is moderating because back to my point about my theory. So my theory is the modern era of Saudi Arabia oil oil policy started November twenty fourteen. So um, you may recall. <laughs> as we all do, they were just coming off of three years where oil averaged over hundred dollars a, a barrel. 2014, uh, it had started to come down. Um, it was about November, it was about $75. Um, 
and at that OPEC meeting, every OPEC produce every everyone in OPEC was saying we have to reduce we have to um, reduce production. We have to reduce production. We have to we have to take uh, barrels off the market so we can uh, we can um, you know get the price, support the price. And the Saudis looked, I think, looked into their future and said, we can't because they watched um, shale oil go from just under 4 million barrels a day, U.S. US production uh, in 2008 to over nine in 2014. And uh, the Saudis were going, okay, we are uh, practically, we're no longer the swing producer because shale oil was efficient enough and quick enough in its turnaround that it could respond to any kind of significant and uh, price change over a, a medium term period. So the Saudis are going, all right, we can determine the floor, but the ceiling is determined now by shale. And I think they looked into the BIS in 2014 and said, all right, uh, if we have, we, we're looking at the prospect of just enormous value of stranded assets. You know, if, if we keep going this way, we're going to take our oil off the market. It's just going to be filled by shale. So they said no, and the price crashed. And if you look at it, we don't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea. Personally, I think it was the only thing they could have done. But an energy economist might tell you otherwise. Um, but if you look at the price of oil, in November 2014, it's now October 2021, it's just now getting back over it. So uh, this whole interim period, it's been down. And we obviously we've had a pandemic in there and we've had uh, any number of other things. But if you look at Saudi Arabia, in my opinion, that was November 2014. Uh, January 2015, King Abdullah passed. King Salman was named. Um, 2015, um, uh, Mohammed bin Salman was named uh, as uh, Minister of Defense, but also he was put in charge of the Council on Econ Econ Economy and Development, which was the most powerful uh, platform at the, at the time and still is very powerful. Uh, so you have 2014. 2015, you may remember, we started seeing the McKinsey reports on what Saudi Arabia should do. This, this was sort of the, the seed of the 2030 vision. Uh, 2016, April, uh, Vision 2030 was introduced. Um, and if you look at it, a lot of the motivation was Saudi's uh, government going, going, look, in 2014, 2015, we don't have the income. We don't have the revenue. We have to do something. We have to do something because we're not going to be able to provide for our people. That something was Vision 2030, um, which has been the sort of formational and the, and the framework for everything that's happened since. So, as I said, I, I see I see that 2014 November period when Saudi Arabia finally said, not finally said, you know, they've understood they've understood stranded assets, they were aware of shale, um, but they finally said, okay, whatever whatever the past process has been. It can't be the future one because we won't make it. Uh, so it's interesting to benchmark these. You know, let's say we're looking at $75 oil in November 2014, $75, $80 oil, October 2021. In, in between there, Saudi Arabia is, has, you know, they're, they're con they've horrible years, down years, uh, oil revenue down, pandemic, 
a massive social and economic transition. And to come out right now and to look at this point, just look at this point in time and go, hey, we're looking pretty good. Yeah. And if oil keeps rising from here, I mean, it's, uh, you mentioned it's, it was at $83 on Brent yesterday. But if it keeps going up from here, Saudi Aramco will be the world's most valuable company. So it's all, it's all fascinating. It is. But that's sort of a sideline in the sense that they, they, they've managed their economy pretty responsibly and they've weathered a really difficult time. And if, if, if what they're trying to do, uh, if they continue on their path of what they're trying to do, they may have an exit. They may have an exit. And what we talked about last time is, you know, the, the good news about um, you, 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 the, the good news about future use of oil is, you know, you know, can we bridge this and get us an exit? So anyway, this extraordinarily difficult period of time, they're coming out on the other side looking pretty good or promising. It's just a point in time. Let's move on to Saudi-Iran diplomacy, which is gathering steam. Uh, the Biden administration said it welcomes the news of direct communication between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, Saudi Arabia confirmed on Sunday that it held its first round of direct talks with Iran's new government last month. A Saudi foreign minister, Prince Faisal bin Farhan, said the talks were still in the exploratory phase. Saudi and Iranian officials uh, reportedly met last month in Iraq. But the number of situations that Saudi Arabia and Iran find themselves at opposing ends in, in Yemen, Syria, elsewhere, is significant. Um, Richard, Saudi Arabia and Iran haven't had diplomatic ties since 2016. Does this feel to you like the beginning of real progress? Yes. Uh, it's diplomatic. You know, this is early stages. So I don't think, I, you know, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm from, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm Midwestern in spirit with my parents who raised me that way. So, I mean, I, I, and my dad grew, was born in Missouri, so it's a show me state. I believe it when I see it. But absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's um, with uh, the Afghanistan, Afghanistan situation that how that the withdrawal, uh, the general uh Trump and now continued Biden sort of uh, America first. I don't think that's a moniker that, you know, Biden would put on it. I think there's uh, real questions about where, uh, what the U.S.'s motivation is right now and how, uh, how they want to play this. I think there's an understanding that in terms of, for Saudi Arabia, in terms of security, there's no better partner than the U.S. We can do things that others can't do. We, we, we've shown that we've been willing to do things that uh, others won't do. Um, it, and also, I have to say, you know, we just came through a period with Donald Trump, uh, you know, ally or, or foe. It's a fevered sort of uh, uncertain what the what the hell is going on? You know, Twitter this, say that, threaten that, you know, don't mean that, mean that. You know, it, it's a very hard thing to interpret. And of course, you know, one of his the focus of his administration was uh, was to confront Iran which, of course, uh, all the Saudis, I think, supported to a certain extent, but certainly brought them into a very confrontational situation. And as the Saudis always say, if you're going to invade Iraq or, or do whatever, uh, you know, just don't forget it's our neighborhood. Uh, so with the uncertainty about where the, where the U.S. is right now, there's been a real movement to sort of de-escalate things, uh, open up lines of communication. Uh, a number of people have written about Ali Shahabi wrote an uh, interesting piece, uh, you know, where he, he referred to uh, uh, the 
MBS and the Emir of Qatar and the head of national security for UAE, you met in Sharm El Sheikh, you know, very casual and informal. So clearly they're communicating on a, on a, on a good level. Uh, every report from the, the meetings between Iran and Saudi Arabia sort of brokered by Iraq have been that they're constructive. Uh, I'm not sure what they'd say right now. Um, UAE is trying to, trying to, um, open up lines of communication with Turkey and UAE. I mean, with uh, Turkey and Qatar. Uh, so I think this is all good. And it's, it, it's all to the and, and US says they welcome it, they should welcome it, because you want you want these regional lines of communication to be strong, you'd love for them to, to um, address tensions and disagreements locally. And uh, this, the region could, we can certainly benefit from a reduction in tensions. Absolutely. Let's move forward to the last topic, um, Newcastle United of the Premier League. Um, before we dive in, I should let everyone know that I, as a fan, I've signed <laughs> with Chelsea. I've watched enough Ted Lasso now, uh, and I decided that I wanted to get into the EPL. Um, and after talking to a lot of my friends who are actually into it, I've settled on Chelsea. So go Chelsea. It doesn't hurt that they're pretty good this year, currently sitting at first place in the EPL. So you know, it's like it's like rooting for the Patriots over the last ten years. It's just the easiest thing in the world. Um, but Saudi Arabia and the, specifically the Public Investment Fund or the PIF um, was has been interested in in uh, Newcastle United for at least eighteen months, if not longer. Um, last year, they tried to make a play for eighty percent of the team, um, but a piracy dispute between Saudi Arabia and the Premier League broadcaster BN Sports, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, which is based out of Qatar, um, derailed it. Um, this is so, so flash forward 18 months later, uh, the PIF is interested again. And because of the end of the BN Sports dispute, uh, looks like it might go forward. Uh, Richard, my question for you is this seems like more progress in Saudi Arabia's detente with Qatar, right? Well, you can't. Yeah. I mean, disentangling that uh, BN dispute, uh, which was, uh, you know, subsumed under the larger issues that Saudi Arabia had with, uh, with Qatar, Qatar and, and, and the region. Absolutely. This is this is um, de-escalation, which is nice, which is nice. Now, I don't know. You know, the Premier League has, you know, has uh, all sorts of owners. It's got some U.S. billionaires, I think a Russian oligarch and and the Emiratis are in there too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and and Qatar owns a owns a large portion, if not the majority, of uh, Paris Saint Germain, PSG, yeah. uh, for whom Messi just signed. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. No, no, that's okay. Didn't they just acquire that? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a byproduct of something that was stuck, and and now they can you know uh, eliminate the piracy issue. Uh, this. I guess part of it too was they 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 they're able to prove to the European the EPL that 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 the the PIF and the Saudi government are are separate. I'm not sure how they did that, but it seems to it seems to be accepted, and uh, and so they'll go forward. And I guess uh, I guess I, I guess um, Saudis will own eighty percent. The um, Amanda Stavely will get ten percent, and uh, and the brothers will get ten percent. Um, and you know it's good PR. I don't know if it's a vanity project. I don't know if it's good PR. But you know, if they were to go in there and uh, 
and invest a lot of money uh, in Newcastle and, and see some success, which they haven't seen success. I think they haven't been in a, a, a champion since 55, right? I was going to say the Newcastle fans have got to be very thirsty for <laughs> anybody that wants to come in and improve their current lot. You could certainly make a lot of fans in the UK <laughs> if, uh, if, if you can go in and make a difference. But uh, so, yeah, that's an interesting story. And it's hard, yeah, it's hard to know if it is a vanity project, but it, you know, then you step back and look at it as part of a jewel and the crown of the PIF. I mean, it, they, that joins Lucid and all these other, you know, interesting portfolio companies, so to speak. And again, sorry to interrupt you, but I just think oh. that, that it's interesting in that context. Well, that's true. I hadn't thought about that because that's certainly in the U.S., but over there. I and mean, if you own these franchises, they're good long term investments. Yeah, if we can just get the PIF to buy a majority stake in the Washington football team, then we'll, <laughs> we'll be in good. We'll be in a good spot. Um, I think that wraps it up for this week. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, if you're following us on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. It helps us a lot and uh, helps us know who's listening. And as we build this out, um, just really helps us understand our audience. So thanks for listening this week. We'll be back. We'll be back next weekend. Thank you. Thank you.